folks, I always told you, if you want to be the best podcast, you have to go. You have to go and search those stories out. And guess what? We're in the nation's capital right now with Destination DC, head guy in charge. We're going to talk to him today. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Destination DC. What is it all about? The next voice you'll hear is the president and CEO, Mr. Elliot Ferguson. Pandora's Box is a mod, vibrant, woman-owned, lifestyle boutique located in historic Federal Hill neighborhood of Baltimore, Maryland. Pandora's Box offers a unique selection of the latest trends, jewelry, gifts, home decor, and personal accessories. Their products are high quality, affordable price, and hand-picked with a sense of humor and authenticity, making them items that everyone can relate to. They are known for sourcing memorable and relevant keepsakes that allow customers to give from their hearts without the stress that comes with doing so. You can count on Pandora's Box to help you select and package the perfect gift. Visit Pandora's Box at 50 East Cross Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. Website, pandorasboxboutique.com. All social media handles at Shop Pandora's Box Boutique. When you give to United Way, your gift could be the first spark of something bigger. It can help provide nutritious food for a family in need. Because eating healthy shouldn't be a luxury. It can help someone with housing challenges and be a catalyst for a new beginning. Because a safe space to call home is the foundation for building a better future. Give today. Spark something bigger. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road, open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m., or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com, and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I am your host, Aaron Dante. You know I'm bringing the heat. You know it's, it may be fall, but summertime never ends in, in, down in the Mid Atlantic. So guess what? We have the present CEO of Destination DC, Mr. Elliot Ferguson. How are you? Doing good, Aaron. How are you? Oh, it's a blessing being here, man. Thanks for traveling all the way from Baltimore to come see us. It felt like a long trip. I felt like I could have been in New York City and back. <laughs> I know, I know. The train is the way to go, but it's all good. We, you know, if I didn't have all this equipment, you know, I would have been here in a heartbeat. Fair I, enough. I took the Mark train and got here real quick. Gotcha. Well, we're happy to have you. Thank you so much for your time and your team. Your team has been excellent to get a hold of. They've been really corresponding. So thank you for everything, your whole team, for making it happen today. You know, it's our pleasure. Happy to have you here in the city. Okay, so tell us a little bit about you. Let's get, before we get into what you do. Okay. Are you from D.C. originally? Give us a little background about you. Yeah, I'm a native Washingtonian. Okay. Washington State. Ah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I was born in Washington State. And, you know, the thing about D.C. is that folks are very, very... Uh, proud, you know, they third generation, they tell you the name of the hospital, so I always joke. I was born in Washington State, uh, lived in California until I was a teenager, 
Moved to, San, to Savannah from San Jose. Uh, went to high school, went to college there, lived in Atlanta for 10 years, and been in D.C. for 21 years. Wow, that's a, that, you travel a lot. That's, a, that's clear cross, con, cross country. Yeah, absolutely right. So it's been pretty cool. Learned a lot along the way. I like to hear that. When I was growing up, my family, we moved a lot. We lived, I was born in Baltimore, then we moved to Ohio, then we moved to Dallas, Texas. Then wow. we ended, yeah, then we ended up in Syracuse, New York, which is the weather is total 180 right there. Dallas and Syracuse weather, totally different. <laughs> totally different. And then ended back, they went back to Houston and I ended up finishing my college up in Syracuse and whatnot. Awesome. So, so I'm, I'm orange, Syracuse orange. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about tourism. When you, what was your major in college? I mean, I'm sure you were like, I'm not, I'm gonna be the head of Destination DC, or I'll be in tourism agent. Did you ever think that? Absolutely not. Um, right. My, um, you know, I finished college in the '80s, '87. No one really knew anything about hospitality other than you either worked in a hotel or you work in a restaurant. Fast forward you know, several decades later. People just assume you work in a hotel, you work in a restaurant, and that's about the extent of what they know about hospitality. So I kind of fell into it like several of my peers, whereas uh, someone approached me about working for the Savannah Convention Bureau, and I was kind of like, I don't want to do bus tours. <laughs> so I dodged this guy for six months until one day I said, you know, let me do a little bit more research. And back then, research was more than just picking up your phone. You had to literally go to a library to do more research and found out how much this industry really tapped into what I enjoyed the most about growing up as a kid. So 34 years later, I'm still in the industry. Now, as a kid, did you like traveling? Was your family often traveling a lot? Yeah, we did. We, you know, living in California, I mean, my dad's from the Bahamas, my mom's from Savannah. Um, living out west, you know, we had a motorhome. My dad would put kids in a vehicle with, with beds and expected us to stay up. And I remember him yelling, get up and look out the window and let's see the world. And if we didn't, then he would pull over on the side and make us climb cliffs. And we would be complaining the whole way. And, you know, what you realize as you get older is how much that really exposed me to travel, traveling to the Bahamas to visit family, Miami, Savannah. Um, I, I tell people all the time as we talk about the economic difference between black America, white America is like, when you were black, you visited your relatives, and that was vacation. Um, my dad always took us a little bit beyond, but we didn't do a lot of international travel. So, you know, it's always fascinating to me when you hear about kids that finish school and then they decide to take a six-month sabbatical and they're traveling from country to country. And I was always fascinated by it, uh, and I was um, intrigued simply because of the things in which we saw, the Redwood Forest, going up to Oregon, uh, and just exposing us to things that perhaps um, we didn't appreciate at the time, but, but now play a huge role in what I do today. Well, you hit it home. Like when you just said, just, I remember as a young child, just family, going to family trips, that was vacation. Yeah. And international, that was unheard of. I mean, right. all the people who I knew went international were my cousins who were in the military. In the military. And that was it. And they mm -hmm. would tell you, you got to go over here. And I never didn't know too much until like high school. Like, and the high school I had friends who went overseas for a trip, for a Spanish trip. Right. Not my parents were like, you sure? We ain't going to send you over right now. Yeah. Like, so I guess it's interesting you say that. I love how you hit that home. So working with the public, what was your job before the tourism? Were you working with the public at that point? Or? Yeah, this this career field is my second out of college. Mm -hmm. my fr I've always been in economic development. So the difference is I started off Savannah Economic Development Authority, Savannah, huge port city, trying to get corporations to relocate, expand, or build in the city, which could take anywhere from year to 10 years for them to actually make that happen. You know, I, I remember uh, a big uh, 
big one was Fuji Oil out of Japan, built a huge plant in Savannah, and I had to know the, the, the depth of the river for the ships to come down. I needed to know all those things, all those variables tied to that. So I'm still in economic development. This is the second career, third convention bureau that I've been in in the 30 plus years that I've been in the industry. So what were you before Destination? What was your first stop? What was your second stop? Savannah okay. uh, for two years. Uh, left Savannah in 91. I was in Atlanta from 91 to 2001. So I realized the Olympics and uh, which was really, really cool to mm. see, uh, and to, you know, to, for a city like Atlanta, uh, great city, um, and people normally travel, again, huge black population, civil rights, um, and regional draw. And, uh, but a very, but great infrastructure, great convention center, great hotels, and then moving here after 9-11. You know, I had two aha moments in my career. One was 9-11, whereas I remember laying in the bed that night and saying to myself, you know, I've been in this job for 10 years and I've moved from sales manager to vice president, but I, I felt like there was a ceiling that I would not be able to break above and beyond that. In essence, I bought into the fact that I'm now a vice president and this is probably as far as I'm gonna go with this company. Wow. So I made a decision, I'm leaving. And I'll never forget when I went to the office and said, I'm, I'm resigning, uh, where are you going? I don't know yet. Um, and then the next week, this opportunity in DC you know, kind of popped up and it really was the impetus for me to not allow myself to, to, to wake up and not get too comfortable in a role. I was very happy there, uh, did very well, but at the same time, I recognized things uh, that I probably did not pay enough attention to and I really right-sized that as I looked at my career moving forward. Wow, so yeah. I mean, that's, that, were you a little bit nervous back when you, when you think back about it, when you're like, I'm leaving, I'm done, I'm gonna just change it, just go and figure things out? Well, it kind of tied into what I always said I would do when I graduated. I did not want to work a job for 20 years. Good job, you know, the things that, you know, your family tells you when you get a good job. And I, rem and, you know, I remember that the reason why my grandparents didn't leave a good job is because there may not have been another opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. Whereas I didn't see the world like that. But I allowed, and I said when I finished college, I would leave, I would work somewhere every four years and move to another city. Mm -hmm. And now I was there for 10 years and I'm shocked that I'm here. I can't believe I allowed myself to stay this long and um, miss out on other opportunities. So it was a little nerve wracking, especially to move to a city that had just experienced the unfortunate circumstances of 9-11, mm -hmm. but it was very exciting at the same time. Well, that, you know, that sounds like me growing up, my dad was always like, world is looking for the better, better opportunity. Keep on pushing, keep on moving. Don't ever set, don't ever become part of the, the environment. Don't ever become a picture on the wall. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, and you get that, you know, I, I got kind of like two different trains of thought. My mom's family from Georgia, mm -hmm. you know, get into a job, retire, then you enjoy life. Right. My dad was more of a free spirit, owned his own company, thought a lot differently. And, um, but that's not traditional for, for the minority communities, for black community and for right. other marginalized communities, you you know, you just didn't have those opportunities. Um, I was taught, similar to what your dad said to you, is that don't allow yourself, don't don't limit yourself based on what you think you can or cannot do, or especially what you cannot do. Yeah, I was just talking to uh, Donnie Burson. He's a, a head of uh, La Fate uh, Rosette du Rosé, and he tells an amazing story about how he was like, it was time to go. He was like, you realize when you're there too long, it's time, it's time to move on. And you, you have that feeling where you stay too long. 
Right. And it's time to go. And sometimes you don't know that until something happens that's, you know, the death of a family member. Um, you know, today, you know, it's like you, we were taught, you know, retire and then enjoy life. Mm -hmm. Of course, millennials, Generation X are teaching us different. Yes. But then now we're also unlearning certain things. That's one of the things I had to unlearn. It's like, yeah, I want to save. I want to, you know, I have fewer years ahead of me, technically speaking, in terms of work uh, than behind me. But I also need to to look at life through a different lens. And, uh, you know, the other change for me was, of course, in 2000 uh, here in, in Washington, D.C., nationwide, um, with what America saw was, you know, the death of George Floyd and seeing it as a one thing that happened in American history. And I saw it clearly through a more clearer lens that this has happened for a long, long time. Um, now everyone is at home. Now everybody has more time. And, um, you know, my, my good buddy Al in Baltimore uh, called me and we started talking about how impactful and purposeful we needed to be in terms of doing our jobs and doing a good job, but also paying it forward and, and, and also educating the industry as to what it's like being black in an industry that is not necessarily outside of the beginning rung of work opportunities. There's not a lot of, a lot of diversity at the top. Right. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Give us your background and whatnot. Folks, we'll be right back at these messages. We're going to learn a little bit more about what does Destination DC do? What's going on here? Who's, who's their client? Where do they advertise? You know, how, what's, what's going on in DC? We're only 45 minutes or an hour and a half, depending on what day to get here. So let's figure out that right back at these messages. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafels to scallops and everyone's favorites, honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, and for brunch, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. No Picks After Dark is sponsored by Snug Books, an independent bookstore serving Northeast Baltimore and beyond. In addition to featuring new books for all ages, the store also carries cards, stationery, gifts, games, and more. Visit snugbooks.com to shop online, learn more about the store, read our latest newsletter, and find a calendar of events, or come browse the store in person. Snug Books is located at 4717 Harford Road, next to Zeke's Coffee in Hamilton, Laurelville. There is free parking behind the store and open hours are Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. OpenWorks is Baltimore's largest makerspace, offering access to tools ranging from 3D printers to welder and training in how to use them. OpenWorks also offers affordable studio space, a coffee shop, and fun-free events throughout the year. But OpenWorks is more than a public workshop. It's a community of creative professionals, students, seniors, entrepreneurs, and makers of all kinds. Check out the website at www.openworksbmore.org or Instagram at open underscore works underscore bmore for class schedules, membership options, 
and more. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Carver Communications, where we turn water into wine. What do successful companies like Nike and Microsoft have in common? They all have full-service public relations departments that fuel every aspect of their business. Bill Gates has repeatedly said, if I had one last dollar, I would spend it on PR. Smart business owners and executives understand that to grow their businesses and their brands, they need PR. That's where Carver PR comes in. Carver PR is one of the most premier PR agencies located in Washington, D.C. They handle media relations, marketing, branding, corporate strategy, and crisis. With 25 years in the communication field, they are well-versed in every area of business you can imagine. Political, entertainment, corporate, and nonprofit communications. Go to their website and check them out, therealcarver.com, or reach out to them now at therealcarver at gmail.com. And folks, we are back. Again, we are in Washington, D. See the nation's capital. I'm so excited to have the president and CEO of Best Nation DC. How are you, sir? You know, I'm good. All is well. I'm glad. Hey, well, I'm having a great conversation. The vibe is lovely. Just enjoying hearing your stories. And I can't wait for the audience to listen to your story and just really like, wow, this is, this is I love hearing these new things. I think one thing that really hit home from the beginning and what you said was I really equated to representation matters. Right. And it makes my heart warm. And I know when I was in the Baltimore Sun, my picture was there best podcast i have so many different african-american and minority podcasts reach out say wow you're doing that and then guess what the following year they had 20 people up for best of baltimore that were and guess that 2015 were african-american or minority podcast that's impressive never has happened wow so again i just always say representation matters so that's what that's what's all about so destination dc what is that all about i mean we've done visit baltimore but we want to talk about you guys what is destination dc what do you guys do here well, I would say that if you look at what Visit Baltimore does, it's economic development mm-hmm. tied to uh, people coming into our city for three to five days, maybe longer, uh, investing by staying in hotels, eating in restaurants, shopping, uh, having amazing experiences, and then leaving, and then another group of people coming in. So what we do is economic development. It could be domestic or international tourism. It could be domestic or international conventions the longer, larger congresses that meet at our convention center or something as small as 10 people. So our goal is to look at ways of promoting DC in a way that these individuals will leave a positive impact on our tax base. And it's in, in the case of our industry, that's 800 to $900 million a year and creates new jobs. In Washington, DC, a city with 700,000 people, uh, 10% of them are tied to working in hospitality. Uh, so you, do you guys, work with, I guess, you know, the, the convention centers, obviously, and whatnot. And you, are you one of the teams that help get people here for conventions? Is that one of your main goals? For yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think the misnomer uh, for destination management organizations is that one, we work for the government. We don't. <laughs> uh, we work with the government. Two, we put on events and conventions. I can't tell you the number of people that call me and say, hey, something in the water, the Pharrell event that happened here over the summer, um, I, are you, aren't you guys putting that on? We don't put on events like that. We work to attract individuals to come to Washington, D.C. to attend those. And we want them to come from the region. But selfishly, we want them to come from the region or 
globally, check into a hotel, and you know, pay into the tax base. So we are going after the larger congresses or conventions. We are going after uh, the leisure traveler because of the economic impact they they leave as well. Yeah, you guys have had some. I mean, you guys always have some huge conferences here. I remember a couple of years ago. I think you might have the uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated AKs over here. Yes. Um, I know National as a MBAJ. Uh, they were here. Um, NABJ. Uh, they were here. So I know you guys have a lot of things going on. How does you guys are basically salespeople? You have to get people here, and right. where do you? How does it even start? Give us a little background, peek behind the curtain. How do you guys get these conference these people here? Because people might say, do you pick a phone call up and call them, or are you at these conferences all around the U.S. talking with these individuals in different groups? Yeah, Aaron, I'm happy that you asked me that question because the misnomer is everybody wants to come to Washington, right. and the reality is there's a there's a lot of competition nationwide, including Baltimore. Right. So, to put it in in, a, in, in perspective. Alpha Kappa Alpha is looking at five cities in the United States to bring their conventions. Mm -hmm. They'll reach out to my team, they'll work, reach out to the other four cities, and our job is to wow them and, and share the, with them why DC would be a great destination. The infrastructure, meaning the convention center, hotels, that has to be in place. Um, incentives, some of them want um, the cities to offer them incentives to meet in our destination. And it depends on the time of the year in which they meet in terms of the incentive that they'll, meet, they'll have, as well as how are we going to work to promote that meeting to, um, to be successful in DC. Their goal is to have strong attendance, and so therefore they're always looking at destinations that have the infrastructure, but, but also has the wow factor for those attendees that say, well, I want to come to Washington DC in 2025 versus I'll skip that year because I really don't want to go to that city. So. When it all boils down to is creating jobs um, at all levels within the industry. Um, the thing about hospitality is that whether you have a degree or not, there are opportunities and opportunities to get into hospitality. There are a lot of people that do what I do, especially um, that entered the industry 20 years ago. They don't even have college degrees. Mm. Um, and granted, that is important today. But the thing about hospitality is that if you are a returning citizen because you were maybe incarcerated, there are opportunities. There are different layers of, of careers in hospitality that are generated by individuals um, because of what we do to bring folks to the city. See, selfishly, I will tell you, I love coming to DC. Um, one of the best, I mean, I've gone to a lot of major events here, but I remember the ACC basketball tournament was here. Right. And Syracuse had just joined the ACC, and that's when they would play basketball down at the What's the name of the center now? It's not Capital One Arena. Okay, I was going to call it. Oh, I, 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 I want to make sure. Horizon Center, <laughs> MCI Center. Yes. <laughs> All right, Third so, name since I've been here. Yeah, so that's why I didn't want to say the wrong one. But we come down, hang out, have lunch. Friends would come down from Syracuse or all over because it was easy to get to D.C. Right. The flights were cheaper. You had three different airports you could go to. Right. And, that, and I, I guess... Is that what you guys really sell? Is that one big selling point where, hey, you can fly in three different airports. You have several hotels we, it's inside, outside the Beltway. I know it has to be inside the Beltway, but things, is that one of the big selling points you guys really push about D.C. as far as Washington, D.C.? Yeah, absolutely. Key, the key thing for groups is infrastructure. Right. If the meeting, if our convention center or a hotel can't meet the needs of that meeting, no matter how great or sexy a destination is, they're not going to meet here. Then the other variables, safety, ease of getting around, walkability, do I have to pay for shuttle because if I pay for shuttle it's more expensive. That's something that we sell as a positive point in DC, especially with the, the hotels that are downtown. Mm -hmm. uh, things in which they can do in terms of bringing their families, 
restaurants, nightlife theater, the list goes on and on. They're looking for a destination that can meet their needs and that, are, that would be appealing to their exhibitors and to their attendees because they're, ultimately for them, they're trying to create revenue for their organizations. Uh, associations that have large conventions, in some cases, 40% of their operating budget in any given year is tied to the revenue from that annual convention. So if that convention is not successful, then that affects their operating budget for any given year. Now, I consider myself new media. That's what we call ourselves, new media. And how do you guys get the word out there I mean, just to tell people about what you guys do and what you have to offer? I know there's conventional ways of doing the email, the hot, the, 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 list, the listserv, and things of that nature. You do ads in New York Times, wherever it may be. But what other types of ways of media do you guys really put yourselves out there to say, hey, come to Destination DC? Yeah, okay. If it's conventions, it's different than leisure travel. Okay, leisure, both, all the above. Right, but okay. le a, a strong leisure destination lends itself to be a strong convention destination. Okay. People want to go to Miami because it's sexy. They yes. really want to go to South Beach, but <laughs> I digress. Um, if we are good at promoting the amazing assets that DC has to offer as a whole, then, um, and so therefore it starts with our leisure outreach. DC's, you know, you've been in the region for a long, long time, so you understand the region. Right. Most people, they, from a global perspective, they see Washington in the news every single day, someone dressed in a suit, talking politics, not very sexy, federal experience. So we're trying to dispel that because we, we know, you know, that when folks come here, they're shocked how green, how walkable, two rivers, um, great architecture, et cetera, et cetera. So that cell is um, through social media, website, some advertising print, you know, you'll see buses in Baltimore that talk about Washington, D.C. The convention market, you, it's a lot different. It's relationship building. It, it is, to a certain extent, advertising, especially if there's a new product. Um, you know, today the Mandarin Hotel becomes a salamander, mm. which means it's basically a black-owned hotel in Washington, D.C. Wow. If you're familiar with Salamander, Sheila Johnson, uh, and what she's been doing, that resonates. Um, with, with if there's a change in terms of new meeting space in Washington, D.C., we'll do advertising. But the trade shows that we attend, which are quite a few domestically and internationally, is the best opportunity to do outreach to those that are looking at locations for their conventions. I know you guys just had one in Toronto, correct? We did. So then you have probably a booth there. You probably go all out because you want that international, the, you know, to come in and check out the city and see what it's all about here, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Now, the difference, the one you're referring to is Destinations International. Okay. Um, there's an association for everything. That's an association for convention and visitor bureaus. Okay. So those are all of our peers there. And so therefore, we're now the customer to folks that are trying to sell us on their database uh, and different things, which is uniquely different. We're heading to IMEX America at the beginning of October, which is, in, there's two each year, one in Frankfurt, Germany, one in, Washington, one in, um, in Vegas. There we'll have a booth, and a large number of international meeting planners will be in town and domestic, and we'll be doing exactly what you're referring to, sharing with them the assets that we have, the changes. The, most of them have come to Washington, but they don't know what's changed about Washington, D.C., in terms of the new infrastructure, and those are the things which we want to expose them to. It's always interesting when you have friends who come from out of town, like, hey, we're going to D.C. for the day, Washington, D.C. for the day. What is, what is, what is there to do? And I'm thinking back, I'm always like, I don't know, I haven't been in D.C., Washington, D.C. in a while. It's, it changes so much and whatnot. And now having these tools like Destination D.C., you can look up and right. figure out what's going on. I think that's a different way of the world works now because I didn't know about Destination D.C. Right. a couple of years ago. I didn't. 
And I remember talking with other people in the tourist industry, like, you really wouldn't know because we market different places and whatnot. Even though you're right here, we really, you really wouldn't know. How right. are we trying to change that? I think that's sometimes a little bit confusing because, you know, we're, we're like, we're right here. We would love to come to D.C., but why aren't you marketing to Baltimore? I mean, we would love to do a quick one-day John or a stay for the weekend. I mean, how do we communicate with Baltimore and the DMV region? How does that that relationship work? Yeah, I think, if nothing else, um, the pandemic has taught us that the region is extremely important. Right. If you asked me the same question five years ago, um, the answer is would have been our marketing is outward-facing. Mm -hmm. So when an elected official says to me in D.C., why don't I ever see an ad on D.C.? In, New, in Washington, D.C., I'm like, well, because you're not the audience. Right. The audience would be those that we want to come in, stay in a hotel, and have a large economic impact. It doesn't mean that we don't want folks from Baltimore to come for concerts, sporting events, and what have you, because there's still going to be an impact, but it's different. But what we prefer is for that family to say that I can now work from anywhere. I'm going to now pick up, go to, to D.C., stay for a week, and I'm gonna work half the day and then I'm gonna do all these 100 free things to see and do in the city. I think the biggest compliment for us is when the local community says they use, they use Washington.org um, when they have people coming in town as a source for like, gee, what's happening in DC this coming weekend? Um, and though they're, they are our audience, but the larger economic impact is tied to the international customer coming into the city and of course the larger conventions. What did you learn about yourself and your team when the pandemic happened. What did you learn, like, what did you, like, when you're like, people are not moving, they're not going anywhere. Tourism, as we know it, doesn't exist right now. People are at home, they're doing more virtual tours and uh, museums and whatnot. What did you learn from that, and what, did you, what have you changed differently after the pandemic that you probably wouldn't have done before the pandemic? Yeah, I think that my team will tell you that I've never been the type of guy. I'm always happy with what we do, but I'm always, thinking along the lines of, well, what's next? Because that was Monday, now it's Wednesday. It doesn't mean that I don't appreciate what you did on Monday, but the world continues to evolve. I think that it really started with disruptors. You know, what we're doing now was not a medium that was very successful 10 years ago or widely used. Now podcasts are a part of the way in which people communicate, and, and, and so therefore that's different. Other disruptors, Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, those things have been disruptors, whereas you know, the reaction was all, not always positive at first. But as I say to, to individuals, change is inevitable. So I think that what happened with um, the last you know, 24 months plus is that, you know, are we learning lessons from, from this? Because this happened before. This happened 100 years ago, but nobody was around. And clearly, the world was a different place. So the, the lessons are. You know, five-year plans, I don't know if that's a smart plan anymore because we don't know what's happening in 24 months. Right. Um, be more nimble, do more with less. I learned that growing up, so that was easy to, to resurface. Um, and the our people are our number one asset. You yeah. know? And so those are things that really <clears throat> resonate as I talk to stakeholders in terms of even how we're marketing in 2023 because we don't know what the other the new disruptors, positive or negative, might be. Yeah, you know, we, you and I spoke before, but it's like, again, Podcast. I would never thought that I would be sitting here talking with different individuals three years ago. Right. It was literally in my in my basement, hanging out, recording. And then when the pandemic happened, people were like, "Hey, if you want to know what's going on in Baltimore, 
go look, go go check out No Pixel or Dark. He can, he has the people, yeah, right. He's a he knows, and he has the people that's on the show that can tell you and guide you. And what I've learned is a lot of people have been reaching out. Well, I didn't know that about that. I didn't know about, and that's why I wanted to really. I call our sister, brother city, deep Washington D.C. and come in and get to know you guys a bit better because I really want to focus on. Hey, we want to get away for a couple dick for for a day. Where can we go? Let's go to D.C. And I, I interviewed a, a couple who has Airbnb that's in West Virginia and in um, uh, Ross Island, Lancaster, PA. And their story is amazing. So it's always supporting the region. And so that's why I look at just how can we help out in this new way of doing things and getting the word out. Because people listen differently now. Right. They're not like they used to where I, we were talking on the ride up here. We don't even listen to radio. We were sitting there, we were like, when's the last time we listened to radio? And I'm normally, normally in the morning time, I'm listening to a podcast. Because right. I'm always like, what's going on? I listen to somebody like a New York Times or whatever podcast. Oh, let me find out real quick. And that's it, you know. So where do you see, like, what's the biggest trials, tribulations that you've ran into besides the pandemic being destination? Because I learned something that you just said today. You guys aren't run by the government. Now, a lot of people think that probably. Right. Because it's a political city. What's, what have you ran into that was difficult that you guys navigated through besides the pandemic? You know, I really think it's along the lines of taking care of our people. Okay. Um, and not only from the standpoint of paying and incentives, but it's also along the lines of you know, stopping and paying attention to what their needs are. And I don't think that that's, again, that's something in which we are unlearning because you were taught whatever your issues are, you don't bring them to work. And, I, and granted, you don't. But at the same time, you have to have a safe space so that people can talk about, you know, the road v. Wade decision. Whatever you're, you know, just acknowledge and give people a safe space. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've also learned that we just need to, you know, we got to slow it down. You know, we're all running, you know, this race to what? And, um, you know, there's inevitably things that are going to happen. I mean, a lot of people have lost their lives during COVID. So as much as we talk about economic development and tourism, we have to also recognize that we are dealing with a situation, a pandemic that, you know, arguably travel could kill someone or not wearing a mask could kill a family member. Uh, those are things that which we did not talk about before. So I think that it's important to, to kind of take steps back uh, and, and pay attention to and, and bring, bring your personality into the workplace. For me, for Al in Baltimore and for other DMO, especially the black leaders, we took this as an opportunity to talk about what it's like being black uh, in this industry and how when individuals looked at what happened um, you know, with senseless murders in 2020, how I can see myself in that space. Today you see me in a suit, what happens when I'm walking down your street and it's dark? Now I'm a threat. And, and, and to open up that dialogue to understand more along the lines of race relations, which you know, up until the last administration, people thought there were no issues with race relations, which you know, if you were not white, you knew that there always have been. And I think the last administration and subsequent events have given us an opportunity, especially COVID, to talk about race relations a lot more, and, um, and to, for all of us to learn a lot more, more about each other. So my, my purpose has shifted. I, I mentioned earlier 9-11 um, was one of those shifts. 2000 was the other shift, whereas, yes, I'm still focusing on my job, but I'm also focusing on ways in which I can, uh, I can expose individuals to this industry, especially minorities, and get them interested enough to one day want to become the CEO of a destination management organization. Love hearing that. I love hearing that. So. You're listening. Somebody's out there listening right now, watching. 
they're like, you know what, this sounds amazing. Where do I start? Like, where, where does one start? I Meaning, we know we have LinkedIn, we have all these different tools, but how does a person get their foot in the door? It's easy to say, it's easy to say, but like, if they're looking, hey, I, I've worked here, I want to change it, my, my profession, but this is something I really want to be a part of. What advice would you give out there to that person who's listening and watching saying, hey, I want to get in this industry. I, this, guy, this guy inspires me today. Yeah, I really and I, I appreciate that question. I think the key thing is, to your point, you're at your fingertips, you have access to so much information. Right. You know, back in my day, you know, <laughs> it you you really had to actually work to get information on 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 um, organizations, on career fields. If someone's listening, and I'm sure a lot of people are, they should do more research on hospitality. Mm -hmm. I think the misnomer is that low paying there are low paying jobs in hospitality, the end. Right. What they don't realize is, is that there are a lot of other opportunities. The other thing is that Going into hospitality, you can be an architect and work for a developer of hotels. You can be a career, you could be an interior decorator, you can have a degree in finance, you can have a degree in engineering. There are so many different career fields within hospitality that does not necessarily resonate with the audience because they always think of a server in a restaurant, which I was one, once upon a time, or working in a hotel, which is open 24 hours a day, and I don't want to be a bellman. There are a lot of people that started off as Bellman. Uh, the former chair of U.S. Travel, CEO of U.S. Travel Association, as, as I chaired that organization, started off as a lifeguard. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and then build upon, you know, reach out to individuals. LinkedIn is always good. Um, the number of people that say, well, I would have reached out, but I assumed you were busy, um, cracks me up because I'm like, yeah, I am busy, but I do respond. Um, sometimes, Hey, falls through not, the cracks. We're not gonna go there. Sometimes it falls <laughs> through the cracks. But when it, you know, if you reach out to me, if I, if you see that I'm giving a speech or any of my peers in the industry, more than likely someone's gonna respond back to you. But even if you don't get a response the first time, similar to what you've done, don't let that be the end. You know, you have to follow up because everyone's busy. And uh, and I think that um, it's imp it's incumbent upon that person to do the research. But it's equally as incumbent upon that person to say, "Hey, I'd like to get on your calendar." I always tell people, "There's a will, there's a way." Absolutely, you're gonna make it happen. And if that one, if you reach out to one person, they don't follow up, reach out to someone else. The number of people that reach out to me, my wife's in the industry. She does extremely well on the hotel side, um, and she is a formidable force within the industry. And I like to talk to folks and say, "You should talk to my wife, Talisa Sevilla. She's with Kempton. She oversees sales." for the entire brand globally. Um, and what you'll find is that there are always good intentions, um, but we're also in jobs that require us to travel a lot. Right. So, you know, but those that are persistent in a, in a non-aggressive way will always get our attention because we want to help and we want to share the stories. How has the hotels were built back up as far as post, I guess we're not post COVID, but have, are people coming back out again? Have you seen an uptick on uh, vacancy, like as far as hotels filling up? Have you seen that? Recently? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We we definitely each year gets better. Okay. Um, but I remind you know as we talk about economic development, it's quality, not quantity. We want everyone. You know, we we want student youth to come to DC. But I came as an eighth grader. I spent very little money because I had very little money, um, and so the city can be full. March and folks say, oh my God, there's people everywhere. The city must be doing great. And we are doing good. But at the same time, you know, the, ec the economics are tied to the international visitor. They stay longer and spend more. Mm -hmm. So our marketing is tied to bringing everyone into our city. 
Um, but there are, it's like a hotel would rather be 70% occupied at $500 a night than 100% occupied at $150 a night. Gotcha. Whereas the restaurant wants the hotel occupied 100% because they're going to see a return on investment because those people are going to want to go out and eat. So you have to understand that the variables tied to visitation mean different things to different portions of our industry. And it's our job to, to be all-encompassing, but also focus on those that stay longer and spend more. What do you want the listeners and the viewers to walk away from this interview? When they, when they hear this interview, what do you want them to hope, what do you hope they walk away with? Well, I think the key thing is to, to look at hospitality through a different lens. I think the black eye that we received from, nine, uh, from the pandemic is that this industry was one of the first to shut down and one of the slowest to, re to rebound. And I think there have been lessons learned there but as we're rebounding, there are a lot of career opportunities within hospitality that people aren't thinking about. Um, the other is that, yes, there's absolutely nothing wrong with someone starting off at the front desk of a hotel as, an, as to get their foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And I think it's lost in a generation because people want to come in on Monday uh, and then on Friday want to talk about my job. And uh, I'm like, that all sounds lovely, but that's just not realistic. Um, Build, you know, find mentors, find mentors for your personal life, for your professional life, and don't be afraid to continue to change mentors as you grow as a person, because it's inevitable. You, If you're lucky, you're going to continue to grow. Your career is going to continue to change. But do the research, ask the questions, and recognize the fact that there are a lot of opportunities within this industry. All right, we do a full fun thing called rapid fire. All right, every, I'm ready. Every, every, so, okay. Crabs or crab cakes? Crab cakes. Okay. You're not a crab guy? I used to be. I don't. It's too messy. <laughs> Guys don't like to have our, our hands that dirty. Flats or drums for chicken wings? Uh, drums. Blue cheese or ranch? Blue cheese. Favorite halftime, Super Bowl halftime show? Quite a few. Uh, Prince. Prince is my favorite one. Also. I see you got my purple. I do. Purple. <laughs> well, purple rain, you know, that was the thing. Um, favorite place, if, I, if you go that to go out in D.C.? What's the favorite one of your top, top five? Top five you can. Top five favorite, favorite places. places. Yeah, it should go. I will reference neighborhoods. Okay, neighborhoods. the moment I start talking about one over yeah, the other, you're going to get me in trouble. Don't do that to me, Aaron. Um, <laughs> uh, I love Capitol Hill. I live okay. on Capitol Hill. Um, I love what's happening at Union Market. Okay. Um, it's great. The Wharf, Southwest Washington, D.C. These are areas that if you've not been here in three or four years, uh, the changes are amazing. Um, I like hiking. Um, they're, you know, going through Rock Creek Park and just riding a bike. Rock Creek Park is bigger than Central Park. Um, mm. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, and it is definitely a different feel uh, in terms of uh, going to Central Park. And then um, going to places in D.C. that are not on most people's radar, like the National Cathedral, mm. um, going to the, the National Arboretum. You pass it on New York Avenue. You see it on the left. Mm and you wonder what's going on. I've never been there. A lot of people will say that. It right. is amazing. It's impressive. <laughs> Here's that. I go past it all the time. All the time. Have you I ever stopped? Never, never stopped. You, you, you would be It's amazing to just spend time there. It's a, a natural preserve in, in D.C. that people pass by and don't even pay attention to. All right. So I, I, I would be wrong if I – what is mumble sauce? Because everybody talks about mumble sauce. You know, all right. Because, I mean, I mean, you know, we, we got to find out. Because in, in Baltimore, we have a thing called the chicken box. Right. Where we have – the chicken wings, fries, hot sauce, and ketchup. Right. Is there an equivalent to that in D.C.? I would say that, um, you know, when you think about a city like Washington, you know, 185 embassies, there's a lot of international <laughs> communities here. 
Uh, the two things that resonate when you think about food in Washington would be the hot, the half smoke. Okay. Uh, usually Ben's Chili Bowl because it's been around for quite a while and it's great. Uh, and mumbo sauce, which is as people talk about sauces for meats and what have you, it's unique to Washington, D.C. Um, Google it. You'll get the recipe. We actually have it on the wall upstairs. <laughs> but it's something that's Washington-specific that Washingtonians will tell you that you can't have a good barbecue or, 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 or certain meals without mambo sauce. I love it. I love it. And what is the best advice you've ever received? Uh, best advice I've ever received is never get comfortable with where you are. Uh, be satisfied, but never comfortable. Hey, we, that, that's what it's all about. Come here, dropping jewels and gems, learns a lot of new things today. Where can we find you on the website, social media, things? Where can we go look up, you know, are you guys TikToking? Are you guys doing some TikTok Dude, stuff yet? Dude, we're doing that... so many things now. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we doing now? But we are, we, <laughs> we, we, we use TikTok as a platform to all promote right. DC. Uh, Washington.org is the easiest place in, uh, to go. Um, you can download on all of the social media platforms, including international, Weibo and, and China and WeChat, which is how the Chinese community basically um, finds out what's happening in, in the world. Um, so we're on all of those, those mediums. If you, if you put in Destination DC, DC Cool, Experience DC, Washington DC, we hope that we would pop up. I appreciate you coming on Notebooks and Dark Podcast. This has been just an amazing experience. Thank you, and hopefully we can do some more cool things like this in DC going forward. Hey Amen. Let me know when you're back in the city. We'll be happy to set up an itinerary of things that perhaps you need to go to, including the Arboretum area. All right. All right, man. Folks, love, peace, proud. Baltimore Fiscal Partners is a boutique CPA firm specializing in accounting and consulting services for nonprofits, small businesses, and with experience running nonprofits and small businesses, they know that there's not always enough time at the end of the day for you to focus on your finances. Whether it's monthly bookkeeping or an annual audit, tax preparation or consulting, nonprofit or small business, Baltimore Fiscal Partners provides full range or tailored solutions that keep your goals and budget in mind. Learn more about Baltimore Fiscal Partners online at BaltimoreFiscal.com or follow them at Baltimore Fiscal on Facebook and Instagram.